Hi everybody, it's Richard Zwicky on the Green Peak. And joining us this week, we have Dr. Sandra Carrillo out of uh, Colombia. She's the president of the Colombian Medical Cannabis Association and also a member of the US-based uh, Association for Cannabis Health and Equity, Equity and Medicine. Welcome aboard the Green Peak, Sandra. Thank you so much. Uh, this is a, a pleasure for me to be at Green Peak. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks, Sandra. Um, about a year ago, we uh, had you on the show, and I think you mentioned, you know, we were talking about the different aspects of the Colombian regime, and there's been a lot of changes in the last year with the elections, the opening up, finally, of exports being permitted, and also the Colombian Senate is considering cannabis for medical use, and there's been a number of hearings about that. You're a doctor, you're looking at it from the medical perspective, but you're also working a lot internationally. What are you seeing changing right now and how is that going to affect Colombia as an export market? Well, I think uh, this new government uh, is really uh, open to uh, to see and reevaluate the, the, the legalization of uh, adult use of cannabis. I see I see the, the different uh, entities of the government thinking already passed uh, three debates at the Senate. So I think, I think it's close. Uh, we're very close to, to do it. I think uh, this government is coming with a different vision and on the side of medical cannabis, they have a, a, a good um, idea of trying to work with uh, doctors, with the industry, with the patients, to, to guarantee safe access. And, and in terms of the industry, I think the industry is very optimistic. Uh, since last year, uh, the decree 811 was signed uh, for right. the uh, exportation, export of flour. Mm -hmm. So that is putting Colombia into one of the leading countries in uh, export and production. Yeah, I mean, we've seen lots of press releases from Allied with uh, doing a large number of exports and hope to see some from others. Um, and, you know, that is obviously going to help countries around the world which have shortages. In Colombia itself, though, you know, the the medical system had permitted, but it was still there was challenges. Now, is it getting easier for patients to get medicine? And if it becomes legalized from adult use, do you see it becoming easier or the market just gets changes? Well, I think it, it's going to change. I hope it changes for better because I think the patients still uh, recognize that when you are uh, doing, using medical cannabis for medicinal purposes, when you have a pathology or an ailment, you will, will always go to the doctor to get your prescription, to get right. the follow-up, to make sure... Uh, uh, that you're getting the right products to make sure that the doctor knows the other medication you're taking and the drug-drug interaction. So, so I, I am optimistic that the change uh, could be good with this. But I definitely see uh, uh, the regulatory standpoint in Colombia changing a lot in favor of uh, helping the patients to have safe access that at, at the end for me as a doctor that is the most important thing i stand for patient safety safety patient uh, access and for education in the medical communities and, and in all communities yes no absolutely and you know a year ago when we chatted you were of course working with a number of patients and clinics today you're um 
you're traveling a lot on behalf of the, you know, the various entities and looking at the global markets. Um, but as the president of the Colombian Medical Cannabis Association, what are doctors there looking for in the marketplace that they need as a next step? Well, I actually had the fortune to be invited as a speaker um, last month to Switzerland, uh, Basel, at yep. the International uh, Association of Cannabinoid Medicine. And I had the opportunity to meet with colleagues from all over the world. And I, and I see uh, that we are all uh, speaking more uh, the same language, but it also excites me to see the amount of research that is coming out and to see uh, new research being developed. So I see that what the scientific community, the doctors, we, we really uh, want more to happen is first and all over the world, I see it in doctors, better access, safe access for the patients and uh, more resources for research because we have uh, a lot of good questions that, that we know uh, yes. can be solved through research. So I, I see that next year is going to be a very interesting year, a very good year for medical cannabis and for the patients and also for the doctors and education. Yes. And, you know, having the research coming out is a huge, it's a boon or a huge advantage for the doctors because most doctors are very conservative and they will only write prescriptions for what they know and understand how to apply and how it works. And for a lot of the cannabis treatments because that hasn't existed it's been almost faith-based that doctors have pushed forward do you see that the are there a lot of doctors that you work with in colombia that are waiting on that research to write more prescriptions or is there already the general foundation of belief that it's just going to support their current activities well um depending on the specialty of the doctor let, let's say um for for um neurologists in the matter of refractory epilepsy that is pretty good and solid evidence uh, also for multiple sclerosis and spasticity uh, right. uh, barely um, in chronic pain but still i see a lot of doctors that they want more research but we have a lot of research but it depends a lot on the specialty and on the pathology that they would like to see more uh, research done. But I think we have a pretty good amount of research already released that is allowing the doctors to feel comfortable uh, at the time to do the prescriptions. Of course, there is another portion of doctors that they still are not encouraged to do it, but we are trying to change that stigma through education. And, and that's, education, yeah, that's a huge yes. part, isn't it? Yes, and education based on scientific evidence, and, and we are developing also other tools, and, and never, I always tell the medical community, never dismiss the real world evidence, that is this evidence that we've been gathering for mm -hmm. many years through our clinical practice. Of course, as doctors, we want randomized controlled trials, but we have to, to mix both uh, to, to, to make the scientific community to, to be more um, Common aware. sense. Yes, exactly. No, common sense is huge. And, um, you know, patients know what they want and what they need, and they're advocates on a strong basis, which is great. How about, you said, you know, the new government is more open-minded. Are they 
aligning themselves more with what was promised to the industry four years ago, five years ago, which is why everybody invested? Or do you still see some hesitation there? Well, no, I see this government that, that is more open to uh, review, again, the drug policy. Uh, right. This is this has been uh, something that uh, is being very hard to change uh, in years. I, I They are reviewing. I had the opportunity to be two days ago with the Minister of Justice, uh, with the Director of the Drug Policy of the Minister of Justice, and, and I see a clear uh, um, idea of these... Uh, um, people from the government that they want to improve things, that they want to uh, speed processes in order to benefit the patients. So uh, I am very optimistic. Good. No, that's, we can all hope, right? Because there's been a lot of investment and effort put into Colombia and the delays are, have been frustrating, but the opportunity for Colombia to supply the world is huge. Um, Sandra, we do have to take a short break, but we'll be back in a moment on The Green Peak with Sandra Carrillo. The Green Peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors. And we're back on The Green Peak with Dr. Sandra Carrillo. Um, Sandra, one of the other roles you have is in the Association for Cannabis Health and Equity in Medicine, and that's a U.S.-based organization um, but obviously, it's also got a bit of an international flair. What specifically are you trying to accomplish with that group? Well, um, as, as precisely that uh, the name stands for Association for Cannabis Health Equity and Medicine and, and Cannabinoid Medicine. So, so what we tried is to include and democratize education because we know that there is doctors in in some countries that they don't have to access to education so it's very important to gather all these professionals all over the world under the same roof that what we're trying to achieve is to develop a healthy industry who grants for the patient and, and to uh, advocate for the patients in front of the governments, of the industry, uh, of the world on behalf of uh, safe access to medical cannabis treatments or to cannabinoid therapy. So, so we are a, a very interesting and diverse group of, of professionals that we are devoted and dedicated to cannabinoid therapies and we want to to, to help the patients through this amazing medicine. Right, and that, that's absolutely true. And does the group um, plan on or work with any of the government associations towards framing and lobbying and trying to give some guidance as to what's been working so that as the governments move forward with legalization, they have that context? Uh, yes, right now, uh, different members are, are doing their their approaches to, to different uh, portions of the government, to different entities, to different companies in order to, to join uh, uh, to, to these efforts that we're trying to do. Right. And what type, who becomes members of it? Is it the companies? Is it medical professionals? Is it just interested parties? Well, it is it's very open. It's very open. Uh, you go to the to the website and according or the, the profile that the person has will apply 
and there is different uh, types of uh, um, affiliations or memberships. So, so yes, it's, it's very open. And what we want to do is include all the, the, the professionals in the industry. Right. Excellent. Um, and, you know, one thing you mentioned just before we got on air was today you're in Panama. And Panama is a country which, you know, I helped with the uh, process there um, starting back pre-COVID. But it's finally moved ahead towards legalization on legalization and opening up, you know, and it's always going to be steps along the process. But um, Panama is also a phenomenal uh, intertransfer zone. It's got a pharmaceutical industry. It's got the free trade zones where it's used to importing and then repackaging and shipping. It's got a, a lot of different advantages that are different from other countries in the region. How do you see it participating in the global market? Oh, I see that, uh, as you just mentioned, Panama is a hub. It's a st strategic place for, for doing all these uh, uh, business activities with the free trade zone and the advantages the, the, the government gives to the people who comes to work here. So I think uh, right now the eyes uh, are of a lot of the industry are on Panama. I had the opportunity to participate also uh, in all the process of legalization, advocating for patients, going to meetings uh, with the senators, uh -huh. uh, going to the debates. Finally, uh, I was uh, I had the honor to be invited by the president of Panama to sign the regulation, and I've been uh, helping also um, a little bit the Ministry of uh, Ministry of Health. Um, and, and with some uh, opinions and some things. And I think Panama is, is a very interesting play and uh, is capturing the attention of, of a lot of the industry because of this strategic uh, location. Yeah, no, and well, it should, right? It's a, there are some phenomenal opportunities in Panama that, that really don't exist elsewhere in the region. And uh, as such, it w is well worth paying attention to. Yes. And how are you finding the medical community there in terms of advocating and moving ahead? Because obviously a local, an industry that supplies the local market as well is going to have much more weight than one that is purely export focused. Absolutely. In here, the patients are like the motor of, of these and I've been supporting and advocating for them for like the last five years. Uh, with the medical community, I am professor of the Faculty of Medicine, University of Panama, in charge of the educational and scientific program also. So I, I, I am pleased to see that the doctors are very curious to, to learn about medical cannabis. Of course, like in every country, there's still stigma, but I, I have been invited by the college. College of Physicians of Panama to, to give lectures by the Academy of Surgeons and Physicians to the Academy of Neurology of Panama, uh, even for the um, Union of Students of Medicine. I've been lecturing a few times, which makes me very happy of to course. see that, that we can reach out to students too. So I see the community very open and also uh, I've been doing a lot of uh, academic activity with the University of Panama and to give in some education. So I, I see I see it. Uh, I see that the medical community is uh, uh, very curious to learn more. Yes, it is. And I know that from, you know, I was very pleased when I was talking to a number of senators there, how interested they were to ensure that academia, 
the medical community and the government all were well informed, but also working together um, towards developing the industry, but also support for patients. And that, although it's been spoken to in some other places, it hasn't happened often pre-legalization. It's more comes afterwards. But in Panama, they were talking about it already three years ago. Yes. Yes, that's true. And, and that's the, the beauty of this. As I mentioned, I was involved since like five years. We had to go through the past government that it wasn't that in favor. And then with this government now, everything uh, it went very, very well, uh, considering, as you mentioned, the COVID came and stopped the process. Uh, so I think uh, uh, definitely we started uh, talking with the Faculty of Medicine, University of Panama, since 2019, earlier yep. than that. I was yep. teaching uh, for students of medicine, for doctors about the endocannabinoid system. So, yeah, this is like very unusual, but unusual in a very good way. A very Absolutely. A very positive way because the ECS is something that, you know, in many medical schools and most medical schools in the U.S., they don't teach about it still. Exactly, exactly. And that's one of, of, of my goals. Are being, I've been developing educational programs for different countries in Latin America. I was co-creator mm -hmm. of Diploma Certification in Alliance with University CES of Colombia. I was invited as a professor for the uh, certification the diploma in Peru, in Argentina. Yep in Brazil, uh, in different uh, countries, even uh, in, in some uh, certifications in the United States, in the UK. So I see this education like a, like a global trend. The doctors want to learn more. That's, that's a very good uh, uh, step forward. Yes, and I'm sure on a number of that you must be encountering or um, working sometimes with uh, Dr. Raquel Perabe out of Uruguay. Yes, sure. She's yes. a great, great advocate and friend of the industry, and I've, I've learned a lot from her over the, the years. Absolutely. So that's excellent. And uh, yeah, there's others as well in the region, like Silvia Pissa out of Peru, who's made phenomenal contributions, and everybody collaborating, working together is making huge advances in the region, which is wonderful to see, because it's a region which has now has a homegrown product that benefits the people in so many ways. It's uh, it's rewarding. Sandra, we have to take one more break, but we're going to be back in a moment again with Dr. Sandra Carrillo on The Green Peak. The Green Peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors. And we're back on The Green Peak with Dr. Sandra Carrillo. Sandra, you know, we've talked about a number of aspects, but one thing we haven't touched on is the impact. And the impact, you know, there's an impact on the quality of life for patients and people in the in the various communities now which are getting access, but there's also an impact on the general community where these facilities are finally able to ramp up to full production, create more employment, have local benefits, and create the product and make a product available that's at really low cost or in many cases can be provided free to the the people how is it changing people's outlook and how is this quality of life and quality of community change how is it already having an impact well that is a that is a very good point to talk about uh, definitely the idea of the legalization of medical cannabis was first 
the spirit of the of the law was the patients to to give them a, a better quality of life, uh, alleviating or helping them with uh, some uh, symptoms or or helping certain pathologies, but certainly. Uh, has an impact on the economy of the country. Uh, there is a lot of uh, people that lives in the countryside. That they were cultivators all their lives, and and they they are uh, now using this as a, a as an activity uh, under the legal uh, standpoint. So this is this uh, uh, the idea right now with the government, uh, the new government, is to pro protect. Uh, uh, the growers, the, the small growers, yep. and those ones, they already have a license. Uh, they have uh, better opportunities for their for their families, for creating a sustainable business. And I actually, when we talk about sustainability, I had the opportunity to talk uh, in May at the United United Nations, the delegate's dining room, precisely on the uh, social impact of legalization of medical cannabis. And it's exactly aligned with the uh, goals of the United Nations of sustainability. So one is uh, the part of agriculture that will provide uh, uh, jobs uh, to the family and, and the impact who has in the society and all the ancillary business that are coming after the cultivation and agricultural uh, part. And at the end, all these uh, going to uh, production of medicine to help patients to improve the quality of life. That is uh, one of the most beautiful characteristics that I have seen uh, when I am prescribing cannabinoid therapies. I see how the quality of life of the patients improve dramatically because we're talking about patients uh, that they were not able to sleep or to eat or in a lot of pain in the case of uh, patients and terminal cancer or palliative care. And, and with med medical cannabis or cannabinoid therapies, these patients can sleep better. Uh, they, they have a better appetite. They eat better. Uh, we can help them with the pain. So just mentioning one of the many yep. other uh, situations that medical cannabis can help uh, with the patient's quality of life. No, it can. And there's also... You know, there's something satisfying when you know that you're able to produce this medicine within your community. That also means the community around the person knows they're helping them ease their suffering or helping them through a condition or disease. And that's incredibly powerful. Um, that's one thing, I'm stepping back to something you mentioned earlier, you know, the Colombian uh, protocols had the large producers required to purchase 10% of their product from smaller producers. And that was around uh, economic diversification with the community. Do you see, one? it was faced with certain challenges, but do you see that impact starting to be felt or it's still early? I think uh, it's going little by little. Uh, that was the idea and it was written just exactly the way you mentioned it, but uh, it hasn't been that easy to implement. Um, but the good news is I think that uh, we were going to have uh, uh, an according of what I heard uh, about the mm -hmm. government. They are really want to favor these uh, minor communities. Uh, so they're going to put a lot of effort in, in to make this to happen 100 percent or, 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 or in a percentage that is uh, uh, very good for, for these uh, communities that they really need it.
Yeah, and that's a it's a huge benefit to the the community as a whole and diversification and towards enabling the economic value to be spread through the country. It's a phenomenal idea that uh, was brought forward. Sandra, um, on that, we do have to end because we're out of time, but I'd like to thank you for joining us this week on the Green Peak. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for uh, this great job that you're doing, uh, uh, just uh, giving education. That is exactly what we need. I, I say education is the key to destigmatize the use of cannabinoid therapies. Absolutely. And thanks to everybody for listening. We'll be back again with you shortly. I'm Richard Zwicky on The Green Peak. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.